Well, good morning. How's everybody doing? Okay. That was half-hearted. How's everybody doing? Great. Good. Glad to hear it. My wife and I are doing better today. We said goodbye to our son on Tuesday. We are our official really empty nesters. When your child moves to another country, he's in Taiwan now. Yeah, you're really empty nesters. It's not like he can even come home on the weekends and do his laundry and all that sort of thing. So Tuesday was rough. Wednesday was okay. Today we're doing okay. So anyway, we are looking at Mark chapter four. <clears throat> so go ahead and turn there. And uh, as we turn there, let's, um, let's pray. Father, thank you for speaking to us through your word. And thank you for giving us your Holy Spirit who guides us into truth and for speaking to us in such a personal way through your spirit. And I pray, Father, as we open your word that your spirit would indeed guide us so that we may understand and perceive the word that you have for us. Guide us into truth, we pray. And make us more like Jesus. That is our desire as we sit at Jesus' feet and hear his words. Spirit, that you would open our hearts, open our eyes to receive and to shape us, form us into his image. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> you ever had that experience as you are talking with another person, you're talking to somebody else, and that person may be looking at you, maybe right there in the conversation with you, but you realize at some point, I don't think this person's really listening to me. Or I don't think this person is really understanding the words that I am speaking right now. They're not really getting what I am saying. They might actually be even be nodding their heads and uh-huh, yeah, uh-huh, sure. But at some point you realize, I don't think this person really is with me. Either they ask a question that is completely disconnected to anything you've said, or something happens at some point you realize, there's nothing going on here. Those of us who teach realize that happens just about every day. You know, there's something, you ask a question of your students and you can tell instantly, they all just kind of look down like this. Come on, are we doing anything here? Um, when our son was in fourth grade, one of the teachers in his elementary school, fourth grade was the last, last year of school he did in America before we moved to China. And one of the teachers in his elementary school was Tim Colomb's mom, Jackie Colomb. And uh, Thomas was not in Jackie's uh, fourth grade class, but a number of his friends were in her class. And every once in a while, Jackie's one of those kind of teachers where, you know, we just have to have those class meetings where we need to 
remind everybody here are the class rules. This is how we treat each other. This is how you treat me. It's some respect, all these different kinds of things. So it was one of those one of those days in the semester where she just said I needed to have that talk with the class. And so she said, okay, everybody, we're gonna have this talk. And we just need to reestablish who's in charge, who's not in charge, what the rules are, and so on. So she has this talk with the class. And everybody's quiet, and they're looking at her and everything. And at the end, she said, OK, does anybody have any questions? Thomas's best friend, Spencer, sits on, sat on the front row. And as soon as she said, does anybody have any questions, his hand went up in the air. And, and, he, and she said, yes, Spencer, what's, what's your question? And he said, Mrs. Cologne, has anybody ever told you that you look just like Thomas Kimber's mother? <laughs> She's standing there, and all the kids in the class said, yes, yeah, Spencer, you're right. I've been sitting here trying to figure out who does she look like? She looks like Thomas Kimber's mother. And Jackie said, I realized, they didn't hear a word I had to say. I completely lost the class. They didn't care what I had to say. When my wife and I were studying Chinese, when Sue and I were studying Chinese when we first moved to China, we would walk into this room, and we both studied with the same teacher, and we would sit on one side of the table, and she would sit on the other side of the table. And for some reason, this this lady just loved to torment me. She hated me, I think. I used to walk out of the class and I'd say to my wife, why does she hate me so much? She'd say, honey, she doesn't hate you. She just wants you to learn. So she's doing things to help you learn. But it hurts. I don't like it, you know, and all this stuff. Well, this one day we were sitting there and she, as she did on occasion, she slid a piece of paper across the table at me and she said, I want you to read this. And it was a whole page, a paragraph all written out, of course, in Chinese characters. And she said, read this. <sighs> My reading wasn't great. It, it still isn't real good in Chinese. So I was looking at this, and so I was reading through the paragraph, and I got it all right. I, I actually said every word on this paper. And she said, great, that's good. She said, now tell me what it means. I said, I have no clue. <laughs> I knew every word on that sheet of paper but I had no idea what it was talking about. Which reminds me that sometimes we can actually hear a word, we, we think, I know that word, I have no idea what the meaning of what it is you're trying to tell me is. One more story. These are all true, by the way. Um, my wife and I had a, a dear friend named Priscilla. She was actually the mother of my wife's roommate. My wife had the same roommate from her first semester at Biola until the day we got married. That's pretty amazing. And they are still really good friends, very, very dear friends. Well, Sandy's mother, Priscilla, is, she was an introvert, you know, just one of those quiet, she just, you know, didn't say a whole lot, very introverted kind of a person, but wonderful, we love Priscilla. And uh, Priscilla had a really good friend who lived a few doors down the street. They lived in West LA, lived a few doors down the street, and um, Priscilla's friend Miriam. Now Miriam was the opposite of Priscilla. Miriam could talk the hind leg off a mule. She could just talk and talk and talk and talk. And so one day Priscilla is home, she's doing her housework, she's just, you know, 
She's a housewife, so she's doing all the things that she did. And uh, the phone rang, answers the phone, and it's Miriam. And so Priscilla's standing there listening, and Miriam is talking and talking and talking. And Priscilla was thinking, I got no time for this. So she just put the phone down, and she went back about her housework, and she's dusting, and she's <laughs> vacuuming. And every once in a while, she'd go back and pick up the phone. Uh-huh, yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, put the phone down. She'd go back, wash the dishes, do some laundry, go back, mm-hmm, oh, really? And then she'd put the phone down. Well, she got busy with her housework, and she forgot about the phone. So after a while, there's a knock on the door. Priscilla opens the door, and it's Miriam. And she goes, Priscilla, you are not even listening to me. And Priscilla looked at her and said, Miriam, you talk too much and I had work to do. And you didn't even know I wasn't on the phone. Sometimes I think about that story and I change the characters. And I wonder how often does God come and say, you are not listening to me. Because you know what? I got my own stuff I need to do. I'm busy. Don't you know I have papers to grade? Don't you know I have lessons to plan? Don't you know I'm doing all these things? I'm meeting with these people. I'm doing good stuff. Yeah, but when was the last time you just sat quietly and listened to what I had to say? We're looking today at Mark chapter 4 in which Jesus teaches his first parable. And interestingly enough, it is a parable about listening. It's a parable about hearing what I have to say. And that's what Jesus wants to talk about is that, that we, we discovered this is a parable about listening and a parable about hearing. And he wants to make a point about how we are paying attention to and listening to what he has to say. Mark chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. Again, he began to teach beside the sea. And a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and he sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. I want you to picture that. It's very picturesque right there. Jesus is in a boat, and the people are on the land so that, so that he, can, he can speak to them. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, listen, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it didn't have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything else is in parables 
so that they may indeed see but not perceive and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones that are sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit. Thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. I want you to note a couple of things. First of all, pay attention to the setting of the parable. It tells us two very important things about Jesus. Two very important things. First of all, we discover about Jesus as a person, Jesus as a teacher, that he is responsive to the people that he is teaching. He is responsive to the crowd. Notice he goes out, as we have already seen in the Gospel of Mark, when Jesus goes out, he draws a crowd of people around him. Everywhere he goes, a crowd forms. And, and so this teaching does not take place in a formal setting. It doesn't take place in a synagogue. It takes place outside where the people are. As they're probably walking along, traveling along, and all of a sudden there's a crowd, and so Jesus, Jesus teaches them. And he's sitting on the, on the shore of the Sea of Galilee right near his home. And notice that the crowd is so large that he gets into a boat and he rows out a little bit from the, from the shore and he is, he is out on the water a little bit, which sounds very strange to us until you realize that this kind of a setting actually provides a natural amphitheater where the, the sound of his voice will be magnified across the smooth water of the sea. And then in this, in this embankment where the people are sitting, he actually can be heard quite a distance in that kind of a setting. It's like a natural amphitheater with great acoustics. Those of you who have been to Israel are nodding your head saying, yeah, we've been to that spot and you've seen it. You've experienced that. You can hear for a long distance in this kind of a setting. So it makes sense that Jesus would teach in that kind of a situation. But notice we see that Jesus is responsive to the setting. This is something that we observe about Jesus and those of us who teach observe the way he teaches because it tells us something that he uses the elements of everyday life, familiar things to teach an unfamiliar concept. That's exactly what Jesus is doing here. He is using something familiar, 
These are people of the land. They understand soil, they understand seeds, and they understand planting. They're farmers. And so this makes sense to them that he would speak in such a way that they can receive, that they can hear what he has to say. Jesus is speaking to people in language and in situations that they can understand. It's one of the things about God that is remarkable is that he talks to us, he speaks to us in ways that we can receive the word that he is teaching. So Jesus is responsive to the people. He's responsive to the setting so that he can teach, uh, use familiar items to teach unfamiliar concepts. There are three parts of this particular passage. Obviously, it very naturally breaks into these three parts. First of all, Jesus tells the story. He teaches the parable. Second part, verses 10 to 13, he has a statement about all the parables uh, in general. And it is a key that unlocks the meaning of all the parables. How do we understand the parables? Well, Jesus tells us right here in this passage. And then the third part, he explains the parable. We'll spend most of our time on parts two and three, not so much in part one, because there's a lot of crossover between one and three. And so we'll, we'll spend more time on the explanation. When our son was very young, sometimes he would do something to get our attention. He wanted to make sure that, that he had our undivided attention when he had something important to say. And so he would actually walk over to us and he would come up real close. I'm going to, is it okay if I touch you? I won't kiss you. Even if it's a holy kiss, I won't do that. But he would come up and he would grab our cheeks and he'd say, Daddy, listen to me. He would look right in my eyes and he would hold my cheeks. Daddy, Listen, I have something to say, and I don't, want you to, I don't want you to miss it. And you know what? I sometimes think about that when I look at this parable, because that's exactly what Jesus is doing. He's going, listen, pay attention to what I have to say. And we see that framed right here. You can see it in both places. He's grabbing our cheeks at the beginning and at the end. Look how he starts it. He says, listen. <coughs> A sower went out to sow some seed. And then he tells the parable. And then look at verse 9. He says, he who has an ear to hear, hear, listen, pay attention to what I have to say here. And he's grabbing our cheeks and he's saying, listen to what I have to say. Hear me. And those two commands give us a clue as to what this parable is all about. Listen to me because I'm going to talk to you about how to listen to what I have to say. I'm going to talk to you about receiving what I have to say. So listen and hear what I am teaching you. On the surface, the story is a very simple one. It's common for these people we have a man who is out sowing in his field, probably just has a bag of seed, and he's scattering the seed all over this, this particular place. And within this field or within this area, we note that there are four different kinds of soil, aren't there? Four kinds of soil. 
But I want you to notice in this passage, there is no difference in the sower. Same sower. There is no difference in the seed. It's the same seed. No difference in any other part of the story, even the other parts that we can imagine. There's no difference in the weather. There's no difference in the watering. There's no difference anywhere in the story. The only difference is in the what? In the soil. That is the only variable in this particular, soil, in this particular story. And that gives us a very important clue as to the meaning. There is one kind of sowing. There is one kind of seed and yet there are four kinds of soil and four different kinds of responses, aren't there? Each soil has a different response to, to what is being told. I think this parable helps us to understand the previous accounts that we have just looked at the last couple of weeks here in the Gospel of Mark. Why, in verses 22 through 30... Do we see one group of people responding one way to Jesus saying, he, he has a demon, that he does these things because of the demons and all of this kind of thing. Why do we look at, even last week, verses 31 through 35, even his own family says, who is this guy? What is this? And, and Jesus, Jesus is responding even to his own family. Um, how is it that the scribes and Pharisees can so misrepresent Jesus? And how is it that his own family can fail to comprehend him? Why doesn't the hearing of Jesus' teaching produce the same result in every person? Jesus is giving us a clue about that right here. The answer, as he would teach here, is that while the teaching, the sowing of the word, is unvarying, the nature of the response is in the soil, the human heart that receives that word. That's the variable. What kind of soil is it landing in? What kind of heart is hearing the teaching that Jesus is giving? That's the variable in this particular story. We'll look at that more closely when we look at the, the interpretation of the story. But look at verses 10 through 13. Because in these verses, they unlock the meaning not only of this parable, but they unlock the meaning of all of the parables. They help us to understand what's happening in all of the parables. Notice, first of all, in verse 10, when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parable. Notice that it is a smaller group of people that comes to Jesus. It is a smaller group of people that comes and asks him, can you please explain what it is you're talking about here? Whereas verse 1, notice in verse 1, a very large crowd gathered about him. In verse 10, when he was alone, those around him and the 12 asked about the parable. Jesus is speaking in verse 1, and he teaches this parable to a large crowd of people, but we find that the explanation does not go to the large crowd because they leave. They hear the parable, and then they go home. They have other things to do. They go back to their vacuuming. They go back to the laundry. They go back to whatever it is they're doing. And so who gets 
the teaching. It's the few who stay and listen and say, can you explain this? Can you tell us more? The sower sows in all four kinds of soil, but there's only fruit in one. Jesus teaches to the multitudes, but only a few come back and say, can you explain this? Can you help us to understand? It reminds me of the words of Augustine who talks about faith seeking understanding. That I take this step of faith in trusting Jesus and I say, Jesus, I trust you. Now teach me your way. Help me to walk as you walk. Help me to live as you live. And they come back to Jesus. And it is this faith-seeking understanding, that leap of faith, that's, that, that, that causes me to grow deeper in faith because I am seeking more of the truth of Jesus. And that's exactly what we see in these people who come back and say, explain to us what you're teaching. Tell us what you're talking about. And so in verse 11... Jesus tells them that the parables are about the kingdom of God. I often tell my Bible students at Biola, when you read the Gospels, there are always three questions that you should be asking every time you look at a passage in the Gospels. The first question you should be asking is, what does this passage teach me about Jesus? That's the most obvious, isn't it? Because the gospel writers are introducing us to the person of Jesus Christ. So what is the passage teaching me about Jesus? We've already identified quite a bit here in this passage about Jesus, about the person of Jesus. And the second question we should always be asking ourselves, because Jesus is telling us right here, what is Jesus teaching me about the kingdom. Jesus is always teaching about the kingdom. He is always demonstrating the kingdom. When Jesus heals people, he is demonstrating something about kingdom power. When Jesus forgives sins, he's teaching us about the kingdom. When Jesus is, is confronting Pharisees, he's teaching us something about the kingdom. So Jesus is always teaching us something about the kingdom. And the third question we should always ask, and this is really where Jesus is focusing in the four kinds of soil, is who is a true disciple? What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? Who is a true follower and who is a false follower? And we'll get into that a little bit more when we look at the interpretation of the soils. And so here, Jesus is teaching us something about the kingdom. And he says that there are those who are, as he says, um, outside the kingdom. Look at verse 11. For those outside the kingdom, everything is in parables. He says there are some who are in the kingdom and there are some who are not in the kingdom. He is, again, dividing the crowd. Some are in and some are out. That's his word. And so he says he is distinguishing those who are, who are inside the kingdom and those who are outside the kingdom. And so in order to, to make his point... He quotes this verse from Isaiah chapter 6. Now remember Isaiah 6, very key passage here. Remember it begins with that, that, that picture of God. Isaiah has this vision, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. 
And it's this tremendous picture of the majesty and the glory of God and the the cherubim surrounding the throne and and so on and so forth. And Isaiah falls down in worship before before God in 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 this vision, in this image. But at the end of that passage, God says to Isaiah, who will go for us? Who will speak for us? Who will go to the people and talk to them? And Isaiah said, here I am, send me. I will go and I will speak. And God says to Isaiah something very important at that point. He says, you will preach, but they will not listen. You will speak to them on my behalf, but they won't hear you. The faithful preacher must keep on preaching, even though the faithless people will turn away from God. And God said, I still want you to preach. Keep on doing it. That's what I want you to do there. But you know what? Their hearts are hard. And the more you preach, the harder their hearts will be. And that's the passage that Jesus draws from as he is interpreting this parable. And he says that these people have hard hearts. Those with hard hearts will not understand the teaching of the parable. It does not mean that those outside are denied the possibility of belief, but rather it indicates that they will not discover the kingdom, the the secrets of the kingdom, as long as disbelief continues. They don't understand because they don't believe. They don't understand. They can't hear. They can't listen because their hearts are hard and they won't receive. Just as in Isaiah's day, Isaiah preached to them and they refused to believe. And Jesus says, you don't understand the things of the kingdom because you refuse to trust. You refuse to believe. His presence, therefore, means both disclosing and veiling. It is both grace and judgment at the same time, isn't it? Those who hear with faith, with open hearts, will discover the deeper truths of the, of the kingdom. Yet those whose hearts are hard and closed will remain outside the kingdom. And the passage is clearly indicating that hearing and receiving, especially in the context of Isaiah, is a matter of the heart. It's not just, yeah, I understand every word in that paragraph. No, it's a matter of the heart. Are you taking it in and letting it take root in your life? In verse 13, Jesus indicates that this is not only true of this parable, but it's a key to all the parables. Look what what he says. Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? Jesus is saying this is the key that unlocks the understanding of all the parables, not just this one, but all of them. He's saying, don't just get the wax out of your ears. Remove the hardened crust of your heart. If we are going to understand the teaching of Jesus, we have to come with open ears, certainly, but more importantly, we have to come with an open heart. Hearing, truly hearing, is a capacity not of the ears. 
It is a capacity of the heart to receive. Will I pay attention to what Jesus has to say here? And so Jesus gives us the definitive explanation for the passage. It's nice to be able to go to other books that help us to study commentaries and so on and so forth. It's even better when Jesus himself actually gives us the commentary. And he says, this is what it's all about. Let me explain to you what the story means. And so we go to Jesus himself as he explains to us what it's all about. And we see, as we've already said, it's in the nature of the soils themselves. That's the only variable in the story. It's the nature of the soils. Four kinds of soils relating to four different kinds of hearing. The first three soils are similar in many ways. The fourth one is different. The fourth one helps to answer the question that we talked about a minute ago. Who is a true disciple of Jesus? What does the true disciple look like? Who is the true follower of Jesus? He's giving us a clue here. We'll take a look at that in just a second. The first kind of soil we see there, verse 15. The ones along the path where the word is sown, when they hear Satan immediately comes and takes the word away, the word that is sown to them. The first soil that Jesus describes is here on a pathway, probably around the edge of the field, not uncommon, walking along this path, lots of pathways like that. But a pathway like that has been, has been beaten down over years. It's more like pavement than it is dirt. <coughs> Footpaths, animal carts, mules, horses coming along that way packs that dirt down so that when the, so that when the farmer goes out and sows that, that seed, he scatters it out there. It doesn't penetrate into the soil. It just bounces on the top. It rolls around. It just sits there. It doesn't do anything at all. There's no way it can go into the soil and to, and to grow. Um, and it, it's, it's no good. It just sits there. It'll, it'll, it'll shrivel up in the sun. It'll become bird food and all of that sort of thing. It just sits there. It doesn't go into the ground. But, but notice exactly what Jesus says here. He says, Satan immediately comes and takes it. I think that phrase is an important clue not only to soil number one, I think it's an important clue to all the soils. Are you aware that every time you open the word of God, are you aware that every time you come to God in prayer, are you aware when you walk in this door on a Sunday morning, are you aware even in this very moment right now, as I am aware, you are on a battlefield. This is a time of spiritual warfare. And if you're not aware of that, then you're, you're not fully comprehending what's happening here. Jesus says the word is being sown and Satan is doing what he can to take it away. I become aware of that every time I open the word of God and teach a group of people. There are four kinds of soil in this room right now. I believe that. 
And every time I teach a group of people, I am aware there are different kinds of soil represented in every group of people. But we have to realize that this act of sowing, the act of hearing, is spiritual warfare. There is no neutral soil in this particular story. There is no neutral soil. There is no neutral territory. There is no neutral heart. Every square inch and every split second of time is being claimed by Satan and counterclaimed by God. And the moment you open God's word, the moment you enter into prayer, the moment you entertain any spiritual thought, you have stepped into a battlefield and the enemy will do everything he can to keep you from being attentive to the voice of the spirit. He will do everything to keep, to keep that, that seed from penetrating into your heart. And so he will do everything he can to distract and to disturb and to dissuade and to distort the word so that it cannot settle into your heart and bear the fruit that God wants it to bear. Are you aware of that? He will make it impenetrable to your ear. He will make it impenetrable to your heart. It's a battle. And so every time we open the word of God, we need to submit ourselves to the spirit of God, who is the only person who can lead us into a place of understanding God's truth. Soil number one reminds us that the acts of hearing and listening, as well as teaching, is a spiritual battle. We need to be aware of that every time we, every time we come to this. Second kind of soil Jesus teaches about, verse 16, is shallow. It's shallow soil. It's infertile soil. We notice here in this second kind, the, the, the seed actually penetrates the soil. There is some kind of hearing. There is even some kind of a response to the message of the gospel, the kingdom. That there is something that happens here, but, but what do we see? It's shallow. It dies very quickly. It doesn't, it doesn't sink deep roots into the soil. It's not able to really grow and, and produce the fruit. How many of these kinds of people do we see following along after Jesus as he is riding the wave, the, the, the crest of the wave of popularity? Yeah, they're there by the roadside yelling their hosannas and waving their palm branches and all of that. But where are they when Jesus is indicted as a criminal sentenced to death? Where are they? They're gone. How many of us have seen the kind of people who, yeah, instantly I will believe in that, but once things get difficult, once persecution comes on, this is exactly what Jesus says, once life is hard, they fall away. Because it takes deep roots of faith to weather storms of persecution. To survive a long season of difficulty, to remain faithful, even, even when you don't understand the point of suffering, it takes deep faith to live through those kinds of turbulent times. These are the people, Jesus says, who will endure for a while, but when difficulties come, they immediately fall away. If you've been in the faith for a while, you realize the importance of trials, the importance of testing. 
because that's what deepens our faith. And that's also what proves the genuineness of faith. That's where we see the, 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 the true and genuine faith coming through a time of difficulty, a time of trial. The third kind of soil that Jesus describes here, verse 18, it's full of weeds. It's full of thorns. It's, it's, it seems to be okay soil. That's the interesting thing here. This, this, this third group is an interesting lot. Notice the seed grows and it takes root, which says that the soil itself is probably pretty good. If it'll grow weeds, it'll also grow wheat. And so it's, it's growing in this kind of, of, of soil. But notice that the, the, the definitive um, description of this is that it does not bear fruit. It grows up, but it doesn't bear fruit. Well, why? Because of the thorns and the weeds that grow up around it and choke it out. And Jesus describes what those thorns and weeds are. He says, first of all, they are the cares of this world. The cares of this world, paying attention too much to the things of the world, the, the worry and the anxieties of this world. Anxiety is, is a thin stream of fear that drains away every other thought from my mind. God wants you to think about his word, to meditate on his word and to spend time in him in prayer. But, but anxiety and fear drains that out of my life so that I am fixated on these other things. Jesus says the, the cares of the world. He says, secondly, the deceitfulness of riches, the, the preoccupation of wealth, getting rich, getting ahead. Sadly, I have seen too many people over the years that have been so consumed with making money and getting ahead. And it's not just money. I think there are other things that are, that are more intoxicating. Power, prestige, um, a place of importance, making a name for yourself. And that comes in a variety of different ways. Um, a comfortable living. I can't give this up. I have to hang on to it. Remember what Jesus says, you cannot serve both God and money. You're going to have to make a choice. I remember so well years ago, a young man sitting in my office and, and saying, I want all of it. I want my relationship with Jesus and I want to be rich. I want all of this. I want the whole thing. And I said to him, you're going to have to make a choice. That's exactly what Jesus says. You can't serve both. Which is going to be your master? You can't be a slave to both of them. Thirdly, Jesus says, the desire for other things. The desire for other things puts the final chokehold on all of it. Discontentment is the final thorn here that, that chokes the plant. Before it even bears one kernel of fruit. The sad thing is, if we're really honest, too many of us love and entertain those thorns and weeds far too long not realizing the death grip that they have on our souls. We kind of like those things around us, don't we? We kind of do. 
Interestingly, as my wife and I are getting ready to move back overseas, the number one question, we noticed this when we moved to China years ago, the number one question that we get from people, it may surprise you. And again, maybe it won't. What are you going to do with your house? What are you going to do with your stuff? And honestly, and can I have, yeah, we're already getting that one. Don't ask me that question. Um, Interestingly, I want to say, honestly, bonfire at the Kimbers. Come and watch us torch it all. Yeah. That's what I feel like. But that's what I think about when I look at, at, at a verse like this. Yeah, we get so consumed with our stuff, we get fixated on it. And Jesus says, you know what? That's part of the reason you can't listen to what I have to say is because you're trying to protect your junk. Let it go. Because you know what? After a while you realize I don't own it, it owns me. Yeah. There's a fourth kind of soil that Jesus describes here. It is the fertile and fruitful soil. This is the soil that takes the seed and it takes root and it grows. Look at verse 20. Those that were sown on the good soil are the ones that hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit. The key, of course, here is in that word, hearing. What we don't see in the translations is very obvious in the original language. It's a different form of the verb. The first three imply a a, a kind of hearing that is just heard at once, that's it. In one ear and out the other. Hear this, yes. But this hearing is a different form that indicates they keep on hearing. Do you see that in the story? He speaks to the large crowd, verse 1, they hear it and then they go their own way. But what about verse 10? They ask him. They come back. Tell us again. We want to hear it again. Explain it to us again. Teach us more. That's the kind of hearing he's describing here in in verse 20. It's a hearing that says, I want to keep on hearing. I want to come back. I want to hear more. I want to take in more. It's not just hear it once and go and, and do your own thing. No, keep on doing it. It's a continual kind of a hearing, ongoing, as opposed to a careless and inattentive hearing. In three short phrases, Jesus answers a very important question that we started with here. It's one of the most important questions in the Gospels, and that is, who is a true disciple? A disciple, a genuine follower of Jesus, he says here, verse 20, is one who hears the word, keeps on hearing the word, listens to the word, takes in the word, hears with an open heart, hears with understanding. And if he doesn't understand, he comes back and he wants to hear more. Explain this to me. Teach this to me. Help me to receive it. Bring it in. Who hears the word and secondly, accepts. Yes, Jesus, your word is truth. I accept that. I receive that. I hear that. I I, I take that into my life. That's the step of faith, of of receiving that. And thirdly, a true disciple is one who bears fruit. 
Notice he says 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold, a lot of fruit, that we see the effect of the life of Jesus transforming the heart and making the person more like Jesus so that we bear the same kind of fruit that Jesus bore when, we, when he walked on this earth. He bears fruit. And the key here is in the way we hear the word, how our heart receives it. Jesus wants us to understand that hearing with understanding is not a matter of intellectual comprehension. If that were true, the Pharisees would be the first to believe. It's not a matter of intellectual comp com comprehension. It rather is a matter of a heart. Yes, we have to come to Jesus with open minds and open ears, but more importantly, we have to come to him with attentive hearts, listening to what he has to say. It's the hearing heart that apprehends the words of Jesus and his message of the kingdom. To the people whose hearts are hard, this is gibberish. This is nonsense. Ridiculous. Stupid. To those people whose hearts are shallow, it's literally in one ear and out the other. To the people whose hearts are filled with weeds, it is unfocused, it is competitive, it's one other option. It's usually Jesus and, I want Jesus and my money or whatever else. But to those whose hearts are soft and open and receptive, Jesus' words are life and they are health and they are peace. Jesus is far more direct in John chapter 8, verse 47, when he says, Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason you do not hear them is because you are not of God. Strong words. But you know what? To hear Jesus well, we have to pull in close. We have to be like my son and grab those cheeks and get close and say, I want to hear every word you have to say. I realize more and more that to do that takes silence. It takes stillness. And I have to be aware of and attentive to the challenges of Satan and self-indulgence and discontentment. Yeah, the world, the flesh, and the devil will always fight against this. And we have to sit in silence and be still and listen to what he has to say. Let's pray. The question is really quite obvious. Am I listening to what Jesus has to teach me? That's a question that you have to ask him, that you have to ask the Spirit. Just ask him that question. What are you trying to teach me? What do you have to say to me?
Help me to listen and receive.